I mean, stress is like an illness, you know, and it's like this black box. We don't have a lot of names for it. We should probably, instead of saying stress, we should, you know, like, um, what, like Eskimos have like 20 words for snow. We should probably, you know, have like, you know, there's like financial stress and relationship stress. And within relationships, there's like parent and, you know, partner and child and blah, you know what I mean? Just all the different qualities of, of stress. Because um, everybody has some, and, you know, as you know, some some's good. But like stress, like persistently elevated cortisol, you know, like with a, with a lack of, um, reciprocal or protective hormones like testosterone, estrogen, things like that, like literally shreds the brain, like literally just like atrophies parts of the brain. You're listening to episode number 105 with Dr. Nate Bergman. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Hello there and welcome back to Pursuing Health. I've gotten to know Dr. Nate Bergman through his work at the Cleveland Clinic's Center for Functional Medicine, and I can't wait to share this next conversation with you. Before we get started, here's a little bit of background on Dr. Bergman. He received his undergraduate degree in biology from Landers College, Doctor of Osteopathy degree from Kansas City University, an MBA in healthcare leadership from Rockhurst University. And then Dr. Bergman went on to complete residency in internal medicine at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, before he moved to Cleveland, Ohio. There he completed a fellowship in geriatric medicine and went on to work as a full-time staff member of the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine for the past four and a half years. Throughout this time, Dr. Bergman has developed his passion for working with the aging population to prevent and reverse cognitive decline using a multidimensional approach that emphasizes root causes such as sleep, exercise, nutrition, and stress management. This passion comes not only from his professional experience, but also from a personal experience with severe memory loss during residency, which Dr. Bergman recounts in this episode. Today, Dr. Bergman serves as the Chief Scientific Wellness Officer at the Kemper Center for Cognitive Health and Wellness, and he also hosts his own podcast called Evolving Past Alzheimer's. We recently sat down to talk about his background, how he thinks about brain health, cognitive decline, and Alzheimer's disease, the impact of lifestyle factors, and in particular, sleep and stress on brain health, as well as his hopes for the future of research in this area. I really think you're going to enjoy the conversation. A few quick reminders before we get started. First, this episode is produced by CrossFit Beyond the Whiteboard, the best workout tracking in the biz and the one I've been using since 2009. You can learn more at beyondthewhiteboard.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and consider giving it a rating. I'm also always looking for inspiring stories to share. So if you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send your story to me at info at juliefouché.com and I'll select some to share here on future episodes. Finally, please remember that although I am now officially a doctor, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and does not provide medical advice. So with that... Let's get started with episode number 105 of Pursuing Health featuring Dr. Nate Bergman. All right. Well, welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm super excited to be here with Dr. Nate Bergman. So thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. Um, 
So I know you are into all sorts of exciting things right now, and I want to get into that, and I want to talk about brain health and you know all of your latest interests, but I want to start a little bit back at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe if you could just give us an overview of, for you, what things you were into growing up and then how you ended up in medicine in the first place. Yeah, for me, it was a lot of um, discovering my body. Mm-hmm. Um, so just interested in sport, you know, usually growing up in, I grew up in Kansas City, okay. Midwest, very Midwestern. My parents are sort of from the East Coast, my dad, New York City. And um, so Midwest is, there's not too many things to do. You can sort of like go out to a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. You can... Um, <laughs> Uh, like watch TV and play sports. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That's really what there is. So I um, fell into sports. Sports was really good mm-hmm. good for me. I went to a, a relatively small a private school f- for my whole life. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have like a football team, but mm-hmm. but like basketball, soccer, I mean, sort of the basic things, like baseball, mm-hmm. just sort of basic sports. Yep. Remain a, a pretty big sport, Kansas City sports fan. Okay. Patrick Mahomes has <laughs> been with all the rage. He got robbed, you know, but they didn't play well enough to beat the Patriots. But um, but, uh, yeah, and then I actually um, took an interest in dance, like mm-hmm. formal dance training, um, actually went to New York University, um, and was in Tisch School of the Arts, Department okay. of Dance, and did that um, until I dropped out of college the first time. And like, what, types of, what type yeah, of dance so was it? modern ballet, jazz, hip-hop, African, you know, like just, just so like whatever we could do, yeah. whatever we could do. Um, but, you know, sort of in retrospect, it was really just a lot about, like, just you know embodiment mm-hmm. you know and that's mm-hmm. we've actually come full circle <laughs> full circle uh, on that like really just in the last few months um, sort of returned to this like the notion that how embodiment may be important for mm-hmm. call it brain health but certainly just like body health, health. spiritual health mm-hmm. mental health just general you know mm-hmm. just feeling well and an embodiment sort of a missing ingredient certainly somebody like you that's you know what i mean that's not a surprise to somebody like you mm-hmm. um and probably a lot of people that um, are attracted to you in terms of listenership. Mm-hmm. But um, I think in general, um, yeah, I think there's still work to do. You know, I think we Definitely. have um, a lot of potential customers, you know what I mean? Definitely. That is for sure. Um, and then, you know, I, I kind of, I had my sort of, uh, one of my dad's uh, law partners called my Siddhartha phase, sort of like mm-hmm. a, a spiritual seeking uh, okay. phase of my life that was, um, extremely precious and dead and uh, important to me um, and still draw a tremendous amount from that. Uh, and then I kind of went, you know, at some point I said, you know, I don't want to be like a priest or a rabbi or an imam when I grow up. Um, but uh, what do I do? You yeah. know, what do I do? And I was like, my, my dad's a lawyer and my mom's a doctor and the, you know, my got to pick sides. <laughs> yeah. So, so I said, you know, I'll go, I'll, let me go be a doctor. You know, yeah. let me go to be a doctor. Why not? Sounds you know, good. It's like a short, you know, like just a quick, quick training <laughs> and uh, it's cheap, you know, right? it's, it's quick. And cheap. <laughs> so, you know, like over $200,000 in debt later and 10 years later, you know, I did some research at the NIH along yeah. the way and did, you know, I, I wanted to do osteopathic medicine because I thought mm-hmm. like the, the, the worldview within osteopathic medicine was sort of in more, general alignment of Mm -hmm. uh, my interests. Um, And can you talk a little bit more about that? Because actually that's something I get asked about all the time is like, why did you go to MD school instead of DO DO school? school, And what are really the differences? I don't think people often appreciate that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think if you went back 50 years ago, 60 years ago, osteopaths were probably closer to, 
this is not maybe an exact analogy, but something closer to a kind of a chiropractic science mm-hmm. where a lot of it was based on spinal alignment and um, nerve roots and how the nerves, um, how they um, invest sort of in the um, spinal column mm-hmm. and how that informs different uh, layers and levels of uh, at tissue levels uh, um, and then diseases. So mm-hmm. for instance, um, you know, the upper thoracic spine has to do with heart and lungs, mid-thoracic getting into GI tract. And so people will treat, let's say, like an IBS patient mm-hmm. by, um, you know, the standard sort of cracking. But then yeah. there's a lot of other um, sort of softer forms, uh, muscle energy, mm-hmm. um, cranial sacral. There's a, there's a lot of, uh, and, and, and that's, we, even within osteopathic medicine at that point, it's sort of, to a certain degree, it's a lost art. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people end up in osteopathic medical school because um, it's just another way in mm-hmm. to medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some um, really good schools, and then I think just like medical schools, you know, MD medical schools, there are ones that are really subpar. Mm-hmm. Was that you know, like the second? One, I went to the one in Kansas City, Kansas City University. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the I think it was the second uh, mm-hmm. school that was established. It's been around for a while. I'm in Kansas City. We were having kids at the mm-hmm. time, so like it was Makes really sense. really helpful to be around my uh, family. I, you know, some my sister and my my parents were there. It's uh, better for our family to mm-hmm. be there. Um, yeah, so I did that, and then you know, and then I remember. We sort of, then it came time, like we were talking yeah. earlier before we before we got on here, um, was like, so I kind of had this idea of Next what step. I'd want to do, and you have to pick. Mm-hmm. Comes and, up fast. And, I, and some people are like, I like everything. And I was like, well, I like nothing. You know? This is <laughs> like, this is so broken. You know what I mean? This is like, <laughs> yeah. you know, everybody, yeah. the patients seemed happy, the doctors seemed happy, the nurses seemed like everybody yeah. just seemed, um, you know, of course there were uh, exceptions that I've met some amazing people. Mm-hmm. Um along the way that have really inspired me. One of the first people to sort of inspire me in, in this regard was Mar- Dr. Mark Hyman, mm-hmm. who's a mentor and um, and uh, worked for him uh, mm-hmm. for a while. And um, and uh, I I remember I spent like an afternoon mm-hmm. at his clinic um, at the Ultra Wellness Center on Atlantic, Massachusetts, when mm-hmm. I was in my first semester of uh, medical school. Oh, so early. Um, yeah, I, I, a dietitian I had knew... Um, she said, check out nutrigenomics. And there's mm-hmm. this uh, guy in, named Mark Hyman. And mm-hmm. maybe you should look at what he's doing. And I was yeah. like, wow, this looks really interesting. And I somehow got Mark's uh, email. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, like, lo and behold, like, I don't know, it seemed like very quickly, very soon after I had sent him the email, he responded. That same thing happened yeah. to me. It's so weird. Yeah. He's very on top so, of and, his and email. He is on top of his email, but not, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. That's not, I just with everybody. We just, I think no. we just got lucky. And, you know, that's sort of how And he the, does have a passion for, I think, educating the Mark next does. generation. Mark does. And he was so, um, so I guess if, at the time I was so, now knowing him, but not surprising. But at the time it was like, this is a guy who's like yeah. I'm already a multi-time, you know, sort of multi-time New York Times bestseller guy and didn't need, you know, needed nothing from mm-hmm. me. And I offered him nothing mm-hmm. at the time. And um, was just like, yeah, sure, just get it arranged and you can come. And um, it was amazing. So I I had a chance to sort of observe and shadow him in his Mm -hmm. clinic. And I I remember calling my wife afterwards. I was like, hey, I could do this. You you know what I mean? And um, I was like really excited. And then Mm -hmm. I was like, how do you? trained to do this yeah how do you do I was like, nobody there's no there's nowhere to go and so i used to badger the institute of functional medicine Lori hoffman was the ceo uh-huh. at the time i'd like write letters be like i can't afford yes. it you know you're pricing yes. out medical students and stuff like that and um 
eventually I think Lori just gave in and said, look, if you can get to one of our trainings, <laughs> you know, you don't have to pay, yeah. uh, and you just have to get here and, you know, pay for your food and your yeah. lodging and, but you can do the trainings. And so they just, there was a tremendous amount uh, IFM, the Institute for Functional Medicine has grown a mm-hmm. lot since mm-hmm. then. Um, and this wasn't, I mean, we're not talking about that long ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking probably like 2011 is when I did my first. So it's like not that eight long years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's exploded, yeah. It, se- yeah, it seems to really have uh, have, have taken off, um, you know, in some senses. It's really mm-hmm. taken off. There's still obviously um, uh, loads of work to do. It's almost unending amount of work to do uh, in terms of evidence-based and sort of estag- you know, establishing um, practice guidelines mm-hmm. and parameters and things like that. Um, but uh, but it's an exciting, I think it's an exciting mm-hmm. time to be doing this type of medicine, this mm-hmm. sort of functional medicine, the root cause medicine. Yeah. Um, it's really a, a, a great thing. So I, eventually I did my training, did internal medicine. I knew I wanted to work with sort of geriatrics, the aging brain. Mm-hmm. Geriatrics is kind of a bad word. We have a branding problem in geriatrics yeah. a little bit. Um, but, you know, it's really just the aging human. Mm-hmm. That's what geriatrics is. And, mm-hmm. and it, geriatrics as a specialty is probably more focused on the really frail, at-risk um, elder people that are losing muscle fast, mm-hmm. people with dementia, people that have lost their ability to be independent. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of thrust me into this world of so the whole time I'm thinking how do I do functional how do I do mm-hmm. functional medicine doing like you yeah. sort of traditional training um, and the osteopathic medicine really um, at the time seemed like it fit my worldview mm-hmm. a little bit better in terms mm-hmm. of okay tree and nature of man you know there's like a spirit emotions and in, in, in body and mm-hmm. we can use body alignment in the meantime right yeah. so you can also be a neurosurgeon you know what I mean like you'd, right. you know you can be an ophthalmologist dermatologist neuro- neurosurgeon or you could go and do like body work. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow. Do you so ever wanted, use your OMT? Right. No. So I wanted to do OMT yeah. like big time. I was like all excited. And actually the, where I went, we had like one of these um, guru guys. Oh. Uh, Bill Brooks was the um, chair there, but he had a falling out. So that when I was interviewing, he was like the chair. I was like all excited to be Dr. Brooks. My yeah. whole family was seeing Dr. Brooks. <laughs> he was getting, you know, I had this whole like musculoskeletal restoration program. It's really a, uh-huh. um, a really talented um, osteopathic uh, physician using, you know, the osteopathic toolbox mm-hmm. in a very re- um, real way. Mm-hmm. And, but he, he left the school. They parted ways oh, in my no. going into my first year. <laughs> and, the, you know, they were sort of like getting their footing and, you know, they had yeah. to uh, um, get a new chair and all. And, and so I think um, I, we were, again, we started having children. Mm-hmm. In med school, and I mean, you really had to make an effort to go outside to train, mm-hmm. and it was really like you had to. In medical school was, as you know, was yeah. um, demanding enough. Anyways, on top of having we had two kids, we had two kids in medical school, and um, I also did an MBA in medical school. It was just so I couldn't, you know, I had to sort of limit to um, what I could. And that's one of, I would say if I had, if I had to do it over again, and a regret um, mm-hmm. that that is a regret. Yeah. You know, I probably would have. Um, made an effort to spend more time. But also I found that the manual manipulation actually, and this was a, another thing that's important to learn, like I didn't take to it naturally. Mm. There's certain things that you sort of like, yeah. you know, you you get good at you just, quickly. Like you have, an ap- you have an, mm-hmm. a natural proclivity and the aptitude is mm-hmm. higher for that. I think my aptitude for that um, compared to some of my peers um, wasn't wasn't mm-hmm. the same. You know, I, I felt like I was... I could get good at other things mm-hmm. quickly as opposed to, so that was an interesting yeah. sort of, um, but I, part of it was just the learning experience. And yeah. I, I um, that was 
just how how the how it played out for us. But yeah, I mean, uh, on, on, it's more on the assessments, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll refer to people that are like bodywork people, mm-hmm. you know, and you have a good understanding of it, so you know. Yeah, I think the framework gonna, is good, and I mean, anybody can learn. You don't have to be an osteopath yeah. to learn the framework. You know? I mean, that's been a, a great thing about in my my own program for family medicine. It's a dual program, so we right. have half DOs and it's been amazing to learn from them. And we, you know, we do OMT workshops. I can learn, you know, when I see people that come in just for URIs, I can do little things that will help them yeah. feel better and it yeah. builds the relationship and all that stuff. So it's been yeah. refreshing. To I learn. agree. There's some little things, you know, effluorous petrosage and yeah. some, you know, driving the bus and yeah. thoracic outlet. I mean, there's some things that are, I think, useful and they take like, you know, 20 seconds. Yeah. You know. Quick to do. Um, and now also you were kind of talking about all the things you were doing in medical school and MBA and kids and all that stuff. And if I recall, you did go through a period of time where your own health was kind of suffering. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> Sorry so, to bring that up. Yeah, that's a little traumatic. So um, it was actually in the second year of residency. Okay. Um, my, my program director, uh, just an amazing uh, soul, uh, Dave Wildridge. Um, Dr. Wildridge was a... Uh, um, our program director at the University mm-hmm. of Missouri uh, in, in Kansas City where we're from. And maybe I should back you up one second. So this is in residency. How did yeah. you end up deciding on internal medicine then if you couldn't well, decide? Well, you know, that's a good question. I, I knew I wanted to sort of, I thought at the time I wanted to do primary care, but okay. um, the state of primary care at the time, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm not sure how much uh, it's changed, was... Um, sort of rife with burnout. Mm-hmm. And um, I would go to talks on, you know, the experts talking about primary care. And they, the idea was they would sort of sell you on doing this. Yeah. And it, they seemed discontent and upset. <laughs> and I was like, this is the, you know, this is like, this is the pitch. Right. Like, you know, and then in the trenches, it was, right. you know, it's because, um, you know, I, there's a lot of reasons. Yeah. You know, a friend of mine who's a colorectal surgeon, I think, told me this after I had made my decision, but mm-hmm. it, it made sense. He said, this is a guy um, who seems like a neurologist. He's mm-hmm. a brilliant guy, you know, as a research on, mm-hmm. and a surgeon and um, somebody who you'd think would somehow find him to an internal medicine mm-hmm. subspecialty mm-hmm. or like neurology or something like something <laughs> that, you know, sort of smart. Very cerebral. Yeah, yes. very cerebral. And um, he just said like, I don't feel like, he said, I just felt like with one of those others, you know, the medicine specialties, mm-hmm. I wasn't fixing anything mm-hmm. so as a as a surgeon i feel like i'm providing a solution yeah and i would say again like just and we're talking about medical school but mm-hmm. i do feel like in not certainly not all cases but in many cases mm-hmm. um this kind of root cause approach to medicine mm-hmm. um where you're trying to activate people and behavioral level and make lifestyle changes and you know sort of mm-hmm. ascertain a root cause it's very pleasurable. I mean, it's a oh fun gosh, type of medicine, rewarding. you know? To I get mean, a patient like, to come back and tell you how much better they feel. Yeah. And I, of, of course, you know, I want to misrepresent and overhype, but yeah. like, it's not everybody. But mm-hmm. there's a, enough people, it's a very significant percentage of people that have improvements or get you know, dramatically mm-hmm. better, um, that it's rewarding, you mm-hmm. know, and it's good. But it's it takes important. time and, you yeah. know, it's the business model for it is tricky in, in mm-hmm. the current um, kind of milieu of uh, the way you know we're paying for medicine mm-hmm. but uh back back in medical school i i kind of knew i wanted to do care for the older adult it was just okay. a natural i had thought a lot about medicare pilot programs mm-hmm. and dual eligible medicare medicaid stuff and um learned a lot about the healthcare system and that was like 2008 2009 yeah. president obama they were like, everything, everything was, was changing, changing. It was, and i was like would like watch c-span and yeah. it's like you know and nancy depart like the healthcare czar at the time and just it was an exciting time mm-hmm. to to be um sort of in the, like on the, on the, on the, what is the crest of the wave yes, that the surfers the, are on? Like, you know what I mean? Whatever that is. Like, I felt like that's how we felt. Yeah. Um, 
So, and I kind of wanted to do something that was like primary care population health. I had mm-hmm. a, um, a mentor at uh, NIH, Margaret Chesney. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was the uh, interim director, interim chair of the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine. Mm-hmm. And I would meet with her every once in a while and she would say, mm-hmm. oh, you want to do chronic disease management. You wanted, and she yeah. introduced me to the group health uh, concept in Washington state. And just, you know, that's kind of how I trickled into functional okay. medicine. Cause that was of course up in the Seattle area and gig Harbor and Jeff Bland and, and mm-hmm. all those guys. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, then I met a geriatrician and she was like a geriatrics fellow. And I said, should I do internal medicine or family medicine? Mm-hmm. She said, well, you want to take care of older people. And if you do family medicine, you got to do kids and, yeah, and OB. OB. Yeah. And she, she's like, so I don't know. You know <laughs> you just, go pick. So um, I, when I interviewed, I actually interviewed based on the program rather than the specialty. So okay. I interviewed at, I think, uh, five, four or five um, family medicine programs mm-hmm. and then uh, three internal medicine programs. Okay. And just we had a primary care track and I was mm-hmm. on the primary care track under a HRSA grant for two of the three years. And mm-hmm. we could do we could do like rotations outside the hospital. and oh, like nice. a, So it was a very... Um, and my program director was amazing, Dave Woldridge. And, and that sort of, like, during that time, my second year of um, residency mm-hmm. was when I kind of, when when it hit the fan for yeah. me. Um, like, like really, so, you know, you have to do the in-training exams every year. I don't know yes. if you have to do that still, mm-hmm. but we have, it's like mock board exams. So mm-hmm. it's like all day, you know, just so like long. answering oh multiple choice questions, which is riveting for those and of us that have problems sitting exams, for, yeah. you know, 18, 19 minutes uh, <laughs> in a row without, like, an, an engaging. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, so, so I would get in like, I think the first year I got like the 10th percentile. Just from like sitting and. No, I mean, that was like, that's like, and I was like, what's the problem here? You know what I mean? We're all doctors. We all have to pass all these tests and everybody's like good at tests. What's one thing we get good at, whether, you know, that translate to Mm -hmm. being a good doctor. I'm not sure, but you know, it definitely translates to good test scores, you know, being a good test taker. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and so, so like I, my second year, again, the eighth, I think it was the eighth percentile. Um, and so I was on like the warning list, yeah. you know, like, like, you know, like this guy has to pass boards so or like this word, you know, and we've never had a person get less than the 10th percentile and pass boards. So I was like on all the lists. Oh gosh. And my brothers went in the meantime, uh, and during the fourth year of residency, um, towards the spring of, um, of the, sorry, the second year of residency, uh, we had our second, or we had our fourth child, second child during, oh. um, during, and I've had minor postpartum complications, mm-hmm. um, just left her in, in the hospital a couple more days. And, um, my daughter, uh, had the first signs and symptoms of, you know, we thought maybe she had a bowel obstruction. She was mm-hmm. like two years old at the time, oh, two and a half years old, ended up, she had like eosinophilic esophagitis. Oh, wow. Um, and my son, who's like, the, you know, he's just like a horse, healthy <laughs> as a horse. He like his face blew up with allergies, like the same, like this oh all happened gosh. within like, all so I said like time. my little beard was, he was white. The <laughs> other half, like within two weeks of this, like literally like, this part of my beard became white. It's then. a real thing. Yeah. yeah. And right. I'm not, it's, I don't die. <laughs> so, so, um, so in, in like, in my memory was just like getting worse and worse. And on, um, you know, it's, these things are still a little bit hard for me to talk about in a public setting because yeah. You know, in retrospect, you know, I, was I putting patients' health uh, mm-hmm. um, in jeopardy? Well, mm-hmm. I mean, the team at the time was an attending physician over me, and right. we, we were sort of charged with leading as a mm-hmm. senior level uh, re, um, uh, resident, as you know, resident mm-hmm. physician, as you know. So you're sort of you're, you you, you have, have to lead the uh, yeah. the interns, you know, the first year residents who are you know you know can write prescriptions. They're doctors mm-hmm. and doctors in training, and then medical students and whoever whatever other learners you have on the team. And I would be like, you know, did we get an AKG? And we're like, yeah, we just, just, we just went, 
and we just did that. And I would be like, you know, you can't say I completely forgot that. Right. You know, so I'm like terrified. So I mean, really fr- terrified inside. To cover it up. Yeah, you're just hiding it. You can't, yeah. and you can't talk with anybody because you're afraid it's going to impact my ability to make a livelihood. Mm-hmm. And, and this, these are similar. You know, we have the similar. Um, sort of the, the cultural norm mm-hmm. and the sort of standard narrative with when it comes to neurodegenerative diseases like you know brain diseases like um, Alzheimer's disease mm-hmm. it's very similar like let's not tell anybody until right. we have to like take the keys away from dad or mom mm-hmm. or whoever and um, for me the like the moment of like shatter mm-hmm. was we went to change the I went to I took my wife's car to change her tires mm-hmm. and the attendant asked me what's our address and we'd owned a home for two years at mm-hmm. that point and, and I like I couldn't remember our home address and I don't really I don't mean like it was um, like on the tip of my tongue like yeah, it was, I, had, like no, I couldn't idea. remember it at all no. like mm-hmm. it was nowhere and I like, I left the, I just left. I turned, I turned around, you find took my phone <laughs> and um, yeah. I just called, I actually, I called the first call was to a neurologist that mm-hmm. I knew, like a, you know, it was like a staff at an attending yeah. neurologist. And he said, I don't like, I don't know if I had a brain tumor, like something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Like I, this is not like, I'm not imagining this. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, and I was like, at this point, I was like, I can't well, I be able to pass boards. I'm, you know what I mean? It was like, right, mostly my thing was like survival and livelihood. Yeah, you know, it's just got very kids, like primal, got... right? Yeah, it was like primal fear. Yeah. And, um, and so, um, a long story short, I went for the assessment. You know, it's probably anxiety, it's ADD, whatever mm-hmm. it is. You know, we'll go for neuropsych testing, no mm-hmm. tumor, thyroid's normal, B12s, you know, mm-hmm. the basic five labs that we do is um, fine. Mm-hmm. But the one, uh, and everybody's very nice about it, you know. Oh, right. you know, it's fine. But it's like, but stress. in the meantime, I'm like, what? The? Yeah. So, so I went for the neuropsychological yeah. assessment. So the neuro, what's involved if somebody's never been for neuropsych testing, neuropsychological testing. So you meet for an hour with a psychologist who's usually a PhD and mm-hmm. has some extra training in how to do a neurologic, you know, neurologic history, and then and then um, read scores like a battery of tests. You Mm -hmm. usually talk with the neuropsychologist for an hour. It's like a standard psychologic interview, Mm -hmm. family history, education, you know, what's going on in your life and, you know, what's, you know, what's bothering you. Mm -hmm. And then you do, but it kind of depends on the testing battery between two, three hours of like, you know, standard tests, you Mm -hmm. know, like remember these five words, I'm going to read your story, you know, sort of, and then we'll ask you questions about it, building Mm -hmm. blocks, just all like, um, like annoying brain games. Right. So I went through all that and I remember, you know, the scores were fine and whatever, but like, I remember talking to the neuropsychologist and he, and I'm sort of recounting what I do. I'm so, oh yeah, we work, we work between, you know, usually 40, 60, sometimes 80 mm-hmm. or more hours, you know, at work. And then, you know, a couple times a month I'll sleep over at another hospital to make it, you know, moonlighting extra yeah. money. And the guy's just like, I see his like tongues like coming out of his <laughs> He's mouth. Like, He's like, you like, do so what? it sounds like you have a lot of stress. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, it didn't, I, I knew, I mean, it just yeah. seemed like everybody had a lot of stress. Everyone around like, you and your peer did, group right? is doing the same that's thing. What we had the thing of kids, which I think, you know, were people having, having a kid or two, but I have four kids, a lot of kids. <laughs> four kids, four kids a, a lot. lot of kids. Yeah. Four kids, a lot of kids. And my wife is a saintly, saintly person. Um, <laughs> but there's only, you know what I mean? Like there's still, yeah. it's four kids, you know? So um, I think that just, that was the, if something shifted you know, like in Tetris, mm-hmm. when the things light up and yeah. the things like you know, down. like or whatever the game is now, that's like equivalent to Tetris. <laughs> so, like, that was a minute where I just said, "Okay, let's 
let's like sort of go back to basics. I know I've like learned all this functional medicine stuff. Yeah. Does it work? You know, yeah. Does it work? Let's try it does out. Does it work? And my wife's a background in di- dietetics. So she's, you know, registered dietitian by training. She, you know, she's mostly not doing that. You know, she doesn't do that for a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, we have a very, we're, you know, and my parents are very healthy eaters and her parents are actually quite healthy. Eaters. So mm-hmm. like, you know, I think that we would say like if we had to check the box of diet, we were pretty, pretty good. good. I mean, you can always get better, but like we were mm-hmm. pretty good in that. Um, a lot of plants and, you know, not too much processed food and not, you know, but but excessive um, excessive coffee and caffeine mm-hmm. definitely uh, becomes an issue sure. um, uh, for a lot of us during residency. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Um, and you know, kind of the good exercise. You know, probably, I definitely had better periods of time than residency mm-hmm. for yeah. exercise. Um, but I mean, I would still, I was still like trying to do something. You yeah. know, always, I just, you know, I feel better when I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you just feel better when you're mm-hmm. doing something with your muscles and your body. It just feels better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, you know, half a check. Okay. You know? um, but it's not like. But then sleep and stress of the mm-hmm. you know the basic diet exercise sleep stress yeah. oh my god sleep and stress was just like a disaster I mean and, and stress was really the one like and that's when I I mean stress is like an illness you know yeah. and it's like this black box we don't have a lot of names for it we should probably instead of saying stress we should you know, like um what like Eskimos have like twenty words for snow mm-hmm. we should probably you know have like you know there's like financial stress and relationship stress and within relationships right. there's like parent and you know partner and child and blah you know oh, I mean just yeah. all the different qualities of of stress because um, everybody has some and you mm-hmm. know as you know some some's good but like mm-hmm. stress like persistently elevated cortisol you know like with a, with a lack of um reciprocal or protective hormones like testosterone estrogen mm-hmm. things like that like literally shreds the brain like mm-hmm. literally just like atrophies parts of the brain mm-hmm. and um i didn't get any i did get a ct scan but that was just to make sure i didn't have uh, tumors mm-hmm. um but I bet if I took back that CT scan, I bet you probably, like if you could see like little, <laughs> little micro atrophies, <laughs> like for sure. Uh, I mean, there's there's been a couple of you know observational trials like actually showing brains getting fatter with things like neurofeedback, mm. me- meditation, mm-hmm. exercise, and dietary advice. Um, Ajit Fatui um, uh, in um, Maryland and Virginia and Washington D.C. area has done some of that work. Um, Ajit Fatui, um, he's written some books. He's a, he's a very bright guy. Um, so I, I, for me, it was just a matter of like, uh, you know, like. But then, how do you address that? Because yeah. you're not, you know, you're still in residency, you still so, have four yeah. kids. So what did you do? So I think, I think for me, we had to clean up. You know, on when we could do sleep better. Mm-hmm. You know, when I wasn't like sleeping somewhere at night. Yeah. Um, we did sleep better. You mm-hmm. know, we were got into the sleep hygiene. You only just yep. did the sleep hygiene. You know, like relatively same time not mm-hmm. getting not doing things that activate phone, right yeah. before like the worst thing you could probably do is check email you could make an argument about facebook instagram mm-hmm. whatever like before bedtime mm-hmm. not just because of the light but you just know the activating. but just yeah. you know getting primed mm-hmm. and these things like they're obvious to people at this point but like so few people do them mm-hmm. you know people like flux they put a night mode right. or whatever right. um but so food people do them. Well, they're hard habits to break because right. those apps know how to hook you. Yeah. No, I mean, so so for, for yeah. real, right? Like for real. <laughs> like in ways that we are not it's even creepy. fully aware of. There's yeah. a wonderful um, book, even if you just read a, a, a boil down. I haven't read the whole book yet, but I want to. Uh, Shoshana Zuboff wrote, mm. sur- she wrote the book called Surveillance Capitalism. Okay. Check it out. Okay. It's really I'll check good. It out. I'll really link worth, it. Uh, worth, um, reading just her, the way she's language this whole problem mm-hmm. of, uh, of like user data and analytics yeah. and so it's really interesting um yeah so I, I for me it was the thing that was that the first big game changer for me 
as somebody who prayed with pretty mm-hmm. pretty pretty regularly um moving into meditation mm-hmm. and for me meditation initially although it might you know the practice um the practice has evolved i'd say a good week for me is meditating five or six days a week mm-hmm. an average day is two or three or four days a week mm-hmm. um i'm happy if i'm there five days a week mm-hmm. um and then and but, this is going to a place to meditate or right. this is yeah so what? so yeah so again even that has uh evolved mm-hmm. um it's mostly reality determines where mm-hmm. i'll go so i you know when i was in a setting of, of work uh, mm-hmm. where I had the same place where I worked every day mm-hmm. uh, for a while it was like there was a a chapel mm-hmm. downstairs and for probably two years I was down there two and a half years I was down there which was just great because it was quiet mm-hmm. I could come to work early or if there was like a gap I yep. could sneak down there to sort of get work it in if I had not I've missed the morning thing um, and then for me it was like it was not just like traditional like mantra meditation. It was mm-hmm. more the things that were initially helpful for me just with sort of like a, you know, th- mm-hmm. the processor, you know, mm-hmm. the people that have that, that just can't sit. Yeah. Um, I found that um, s- like guided imagery mm-hmm. and self-hypnosis rules, you just count backwards to five, mm-hmm. sort of get in, you know, entrained, get into it, and then you can sort of program with whatever, you know, some mm-hmm. people are doing. Mantras. Some people are saying things that are uh, kind of motivational statements. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are listening to something that's guided. There's a million ways to do it, but just taking the time. And you know, we had done some classes that uh, 20 minutes twice a day. I just found that the second 20 minutes, you know, people say, "Well, you weren't dedicated." I mean, I I did it for a couple months, and it mm-hmm. was so stressful because mm-hmm. I'm like in the driveway or in right. my garage, and my kids are like, "I'm oh, daddy, dinner yeah. time." You know, like I mean, <laughs> so so I just prioritized. Yeah. Um, at the time at the time of the family in mm-hmm. the evening and really just try to set aside my goal is 12 minutes mm-hmm. 12 minutes is perfect um and uh um i it's it's i hate meditating it's mm-hmm. so boring i mean it's like <laughs> painfully boring yeah. but it's so effective yeah. like it works like it's a fact you know it's not like oh you should try like right. if you we meditate you will it's like if you eat more vegetables it will feel but like mm-hmm. if you meditate it's a it's like and it's not magical, right? It's a fa- right. it's factual, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and uh, so that I think more than anything else, that and sort of sorting out the sleep, mm-hmm. um, and then learning to use exercise to manage stress, mm-hmm. were. And then also learning like food triggers, like f- okay. foods that were bad for me, mm-hmm. that didn't agree with me, that mm-hmm. don't agree with me. Those so those are some of core elements mm-hmm. of. Um, kind of like lifestyle that were um just huge mm-hmm. you know they were huge they were life-changing for me and like to the you know the 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 postscript on that story is that you know i was really scared that i wasn't going to pass boards mm-hmm. um and we transitioned to fellowship was which was in terms of like the intensity of the type of service, you know, mm-hmm. like the service hours in the hospital was yeah. less intense, but we saw, we had more like academic stuff, mm-hmm. like papers and presentations and this thing and that thing. But like, uh, you know, it wasn't like 80 hours a week on the mm-hmm. floor or in the mm-hmm. ICU or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, so, so, and then studying and doing all this stuff, I, we passed boards, I got like the 88th percentile or something. <laughs> uh, and I, my program director, Dr. Woldridge, was like, you know, relieved that we passed <laughs> and I wasn't going to reflect poorly on the program. And you know, to his credit, they did everything to help me. They were they were amazing. That's awesome. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it was, uh, 
in, but the fear that you get, you feel like you're losing your mind is yeah. very hard. Um, you know, I've never, thank God, been diagnosed with a cancer, had a heart attack, you know, but like that fear of like your mind sort of like crumbling mm -hmm. and having no, no idea and no control, that mm -hmm. was, I, I it's just, it was, it was terrible. And it was like, it wasn't like, it was for a few minutes, it wasn't mm -hmm. like getting hit and like, you know, mm -hmm. the pain going away. It was like the next day and the next yeah. day and the next day and like get worse. Yeah. That was crazy. That's really crazy. And kind of crazy that you had already been sort of interested in this field of working with patients going through this and then it sort of, you had the first-hand experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with the way we, you know, train physicians. And I mean, yeah. you do, I think if you, if you want to be proficient, certainly good, and, and obviously if you want to be great, like mm -hmm. it, it requires a lot of dedication. And I yeah. do think that when you have, you know, outpatient medicine, the pace of outpatient medicine, or somebody's coming to the office mm -hmm. or you're talking to them um, virtually, you know, on a, on a, on a mm -hmm. Zoom, Skype, whatever the platform you're using is, or even the phone, um, the pace there is different. When you're working in an intense environment, mm -hmm. if you're a surgeon, if you like, I mean, minute to minute things yeah. change. People's lives are on the line minute to minute. It mm -hmm. is a stressful environment. It, you're essentially a first responder. Mm -hmm. If you have anything to do with an ER, uh, if you have anything to do uh, with a trauma response team, mm -hmm. um, if you're on call at a hospital, even if it's not busy, you're still like, Co the there, code blue the thing at any minute like go so you just don't really rest mm -hmm. it's hard to get into like a deep rest um state and so um it's just I, I i don't know how to say like there are people that argue well if we didn't have we have work mm -hmm. hour limits and stuff but there's also you lose something in terms yeah. of the, in the the intensity of training is in some ways a good thing and it yeah. builds you as a physician like you just come out salty and you're like I can handle stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you, so you do not do that before you go to residency. It's like, you know, there's all the people that I was in residency with, like, you know, mm -hmm. there's a certain camaraderie that you will have with no one else because they didn't understand what you went through. Right. You know? Yeah. It's such an interesting thing. And it's, it's like, where is that perfect balance of, you know, being pushed enough that you learn and you get that experience that you need, but also not being pushed too far that you... You know, and it's probably a different balance for every person. Uh, recently, I was up in, I was in Silicon Valley, like uh, I was in Palo Alto, like in November for the conference and um, everybody's looking for balance. It just, it's a completely imbalanced. I mean, if you're going to go for a startup and try a moonshot yeah. or try to be built, like, I mean, you're you, in a you completely balance. abnormal, like trajectory. Mm -hmm. So like, stop talking about balance. Do you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> right. you chose to not be right. in a balanced situation. Right. So, I mean, you can try to do stuff that'll mitigate um, damage, mm -hmm. but like the honest truth mm -hmm. is that I chose medicine yeah. and to be proficient, mm -hmm. you have to yeah. pay, you have to do the service. Well, it's kind of interesting thinking about just thinking back to like CrossFit. But it is ironic, thinking, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. it's ironic that like healthcare providers like, are, no, this are the least healthy yeah. people ever. It's so true. You walk yeah. into a hospital and it's, ugh. but, but it's, it makes me think of uh, like CrossFit or like um, other sort of elite athletes. I mean, CrossFit, it makes me think about it because so many people do CrossFit for general health. It's to move and to exercise and have a community and everything like that. But then you see these people are competing in the CrossFit games and what they're doing is not healthy because they're kind of like these Silicon Valley, you know, medicine, whatever they are saying, Hey, what I'm doing is not healthy, but I'm yeah. doing it cause I want to be the best. Sort of a hypertrophication yeah. of, of a, what would be a normal sort of curve. It right. becomes this sort of abnormal um, right. effort. And 
Yeah, but I mean, decision. there's a certain, right, but there's also a certain um, excitement and, um, you know, the, some people talk about it in a flow state, but mm-hmm. you, there's just like peak training, peak mm-hmm. perf- like seeking peak performance. I mean, someone sort of label that as an addiction, but like, it's it's exciting. Yeah. It's ex- I mean, you know, yeah, it's you exciting. Yeah, you push the limits yeah. and see what you're capable of. Okay, so you go, you started talking about fellowship a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what, you know, what... You mentioned that, that, you know, you wanted to work with this quote unquote geriatric population. What were your plans from there? And then how did you transition into functional medicine? Yeah. So, um, we moved to Cleveland. I had a great, uh, I thought we'd be for a year to go Mm -hmm. to the clinic for the, for the fellowship and move back. And I had this guy who, um, I tricked into thinking that, you know, he would be, he would be a good junior (laughs) partner for him. He would sort of mentor (laughs) me up and, uh, he was, he was a mentor of mine and another mentor of mine, Peter Holt, just a phenomenal human being, great doctor with one of these, you know, just a positive attitude. Like, mm-hmm. just loved People medicine, loved him. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. just loved uh, loved him. Um, and um, and so uh, and so, like six months into this year long fellowship, uh, my wife says to me, "You know, I like it in Cleveland, <laughs> and the kids are well placed here. So why don't you find a job here?" I like, <laughs> Cleveland oh. just sucks right, right, you right, right in, right. and you're like, never well, gonna leave. <laughs> well, you know, the weather's really good here. You know, I think the the folk, like, my, they've already canceled my kids' school. <laughs> two days from now because it's supposed to be 33 below zero or something <laughs> so uh, but I mean Cleveland's a good city I mean I yeah. actually have no complaints about um, Cleveland as a city it's a good place um, but uh, then I I said oh, I gotta find some work yeah. in, in, in uh, Cleveland and so our idea was to start um sort of like an aging brain clinic. I was going to work three days a week for a, for a um, company where you'd see uh, people in their homes, people mm-hmm. that sort of homebound elderly, okay. sort of do traditional geriatrics and then build a, a clinic in sort of the aging brain, the software company we're going to work with. And um, what it, what it was sounded like really exciting. Sounds great. You know, one of those moments where I'm so glad it didn't uh, happen <laughs> because I had no, you know, like we had no idea what we were doing. Yeah. And then, um, so that was probably like January, February of, um, of my fellowship year, and then in April, my wife, who was going to be my business partner in yeah. this venture, uh, tells me she's pregnant <laughs> with our fifth child. <laughs> and I would say that's the closest I've come to like a full-on anxiety attack. <laughs> <laughs> I had like, I'd, like go to my friends. My wife's out of town. She's like texting me. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I had like go to my friend's house to like you know like talk me what off the ledge. You know, it's gonna be fine. Um, so that's you know the importance of community, Frankie. Yes. If you're out there, you know, it was super uh, super helpful. So, um, so yeah, once we sort of absorbed that and dealt with that and then lo and behold, you know, as, as, um, as, uh, you know, just with in sort of good fortune, I Mm -hmm. just, a lot of life, as you know, is just good fortune and Mm -hmm. blessings and stuff. And, um, so I got a text, um, a few weeks after that, when we were Mm -hmm. kind of sorting out, I was trying to, you know, change this Mm -hmm. and what are we going to build it? You were going to have like a part-time lease on a building or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um. Uh, I get a text. Hey, you think this is Dr. Mark Hyman? Do you remember me? We had, you know, I'd done a little bit of work for him, like, um, yeah. for, you know, it's sort of uh, collecting some research for him when I was uh, in medical school, and um, and it, but it had been like five, five or six years yeah. really since we interacted, and um, they had opened the Center for Functional Medicine in, um, in uh, the end of 2014, mm-hmm. and this my my fellowship finished the end of June of 2015, so really not talking about that long ago, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know. 
can we have dinner? Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> oh. so, you know, when and where? He's like, yeah. oh, tonight. Shut up. Some play. I went, it was like table 45 and oh, I come nice. in with like, I mean, I'm like, just get off like the ace, like the geriatrics floor. There's right. no jacket. They're like, sure, do you want a jacket? I'm like, what's a jacket? You know? And, um, you know, I'm still like just in fell, you know, like broken everything. Right. And, you know, like my, uh, I remember once Mark said, you know, like, I, I'm, I'm charging my phone. And it was like this, you know, like it was all withered. And like, it's like, hey, you're like a real <laughs> you doctor need, now. You, you just get a charger. charger. <laughs> He's like, just get a charger. Uh, so so Mark uh, Mark texts me and he takes me to dinner. What do you want to do? And I sort of laid it out. He's like, you know, why don't you come do it with us? I said, wow, what an opportunity. Wow. Um, and so that, the, the, it's hard to understate how much that time, the time at the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine mm-hmm. amplified my learning curve. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would have taken, I don't know how long, like six, 10 years mm-hmm. to learn what they taught me and just from just being sort of thrown into it, mm-hmm. um, you know, where you're doing fairly high volume for, for kind of functional medicine mm-hmm. um, and just one after another after another mm-hmm. managing. So, you know, people that are mm-hmm. really sick uh, doing it from an insurance model, which is mm-hmm. different than a, and a sort of a cash pay model. Mm-hmm. Um, the expectations are different. The, the people that are coming to you are different. Um, an amazing place with an amazing mission. Um, uh, just, a, just a phenomenal uh, opportunity and a phenomenal group of people uh, that had started that. I learned tr- tons from Dr. Hyman and Dr. Hannaway and all the colleagues there. Um, it was just it continues to be, as you know, I mean, it's a really uh, an important place. Yeah. And you were able to really see it grow. I mean, when you started, it was still yeah. beginning and to see yeah, it I was develop. the first, I would think it was the second. So I was the second full-time doctor working there, although they hired me and Anna Herbst at the same at the same time. And mm-hmm. I think she probably was hired before me, but um, she didn't come till the month after. So me and Anna <laughs> started at the same time and it was really just us mm-hmm. uh, and Dr. Parvis. I mean, it was... Uh, yeah, it was like the good old days. We're right. down in the dungeon just where we, it was like it four out. hallways to, <laughs> till you could see any natural light. You know, I, I was in the one there, room all day. I actually last week to get my TV test. Right, that's, now, now it's occupational now health. Now it's right? the yeah. TV test yeah. place. Right, I mean, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, those were, those were, I mean, formative, formative years mm-hmm. for me. Those were hard times in some ways, but some of the, you know, that you look right. back at those, like, those are what, you know, it's like residency it's like of residency, functional medicine, yeah, just, you know? made me think of what you were talking about with residency super fellowship they call actually they have those yeah, those extra years you know the super fellowship yes. they have the cleveland clinic you know, the vascular surgeon comes they finish their two years of vascular surgery uh-huh. fellowship they've done five years of, of residency uh-huh. they come for the super fellowship, the super fellowship. You know, sort of like a try you out you know yeah. you're going to fit here as staff right it's called a super fellowship right <laughs> wow um so and during that time you were you talked about working with patients who are very sick and patients that kind of come from all over because they've tried everything else already um, but you also were able to work with a lot of patients in this arena of cognitive health. Um, can you just talk a little bit now for people listening about kind of what that means and how you think about, like when you see a patient who's coming in with memory problems that you, you know, you see on the chief complaint in your regular practice, memory problems, and it's, you know, normally you think about, you do some memory testing, you do some basic labs, but how do you think differently about that now? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, the basics, I mean, you have to get the story, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's that the heart of functional medicine is like talking with someone mm-hmm. and saying, how did this start? Mm-hmm. You know, did this start? So, I mean, things I've seen where somebody has legitimate Alzheimer's disease in their fifties, which is technically an early onset mm-hmm. Alzheimer's, you know, usually these things don't start till, 
you know, mid to late 60s, if mm-hmm. that. Uh, and then, you know, I think you could make an argument, and there's people that make an argument that, you know, if somebody starts becoming demented sort of in their mid 80s, mm-hmm. we call it Alzheimer's, but, it, you know, you used to call it senile dementia. I mean, is that really Alzheimer's? You know, what really is that, you know? Right. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, I always start with a very simple model. And your husband, when he spent time with us, you know, like sort of, I think, I can't say for sure, I think he sort of like did this eye roll back. He, but like, it's actually... No, he liked it. I remember him telling me about it. It's pretty, just, you know, anytime somebody comes to learn w- with us when I was there, uh, we would say, take a look at this person's intake packet. So mm-hmm. at the time, we were using this uh, software called the Living Matrix. And mm-hmm. it's like a, it's a little dynamic questionnaire. It's mm-hmm. between 300 and 600 questions. Sort of depending, yeah. it takes people hours to do, but it's almost like, it's like a biographical, yeah. um, it's like a biography of their yeah. health. And it's a time, it's timelined um, as appropriated. So you just want to see when do they deviate? Mm-hmm. You know, when did things deviate? What was going on? So you can sort of zero in. So mm-hmm. I always think about diet, exercise, sleep, stress, mm-hmm. and what we have seen. Um, I think the two things that are somewhat under, I think they're starting to become appreciated by uh, uh, some researchers and, and clinicians out there are, you know, diet and exercise. I think the best evidence, most people know, the best evidence for the brain um is movement and exercise. Mm-hmm. Is it actually the thing that's the best for the brain? I think is a, in my mm-hmm. mind, it's a question mark, but do we have e- the best evidence for what helps mm-hmm. would be exercise. Lot, you know, yeah. uh, um, John Rady wrote a good, a great book called mm-hmm. Spark. I mean, he's now, um, you know, everybody knows about it. I think that, that book became, you know, sort of a household name, even though he was a gi- giant even before then. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, then diet, you know, if somebody's eating, I love when somebody's coming in with donuts and mm-hmm. McDonald's and soda. I mean, those are slam dunks. You know what I mean? They don't need to see a doctor. They need to see a dietitian, yeah. a health coach. And, you know, basically they don't have to eat perfectly. They just add more vegetables, cut out some processed food. They're going to feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I think the two, like... Um, domains that the least appreciated and that mm-hmm. I spend personally like a lot of time trying to mm-hmm. you know get some story on is um, sleep uh, s- sleep apnea you know if you just look at Medicare criteria mm-hmm. and sort of classic you know like the you know I, I joke about this uh, I was a I was on a panel in Washington DC and um, with like these just like heavy hitters you know there's one from Mass General mm-hmm. this is like this <laughs> one woman just a, wrote a oh she's um she has like access to repurpose Framingham, the Framingham study for heart, Mm -hmm. for the brain. She's like, she's the person, right? So um, it was another lady and and it was like me. (laughs) The guy, you know, the the crazy functional (laughs) medicine guy from uh, whatever. So, um, so I, I, I sort of feel like, let's say sleep apnea, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about sleep. So there's like, you know, there's duration mm-hmm. and then there's the quality, mm-hmm. right? So you have to go through the stages of sleep to have restorative sleep and, and sleep does something, right? Mm-hmm. So on a very minimal level, sort of to oversimplify this, like, so it processes, like, mm-hmm. so you're doing some processing. What exactly is processing is an interesting question. And then... Um, let's say processing memories or mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, and then the other thing, you know, you can think about it as, uh, I think the best analogy I've heard is it's sort of a washing machine for them and you're getting rid mm-hmm. of things. But one of, so you need the amount of time, you also need to be able to transition. So mm-hmm. if somebody, you know, can't transition with beta, you know, if you've seen a sleep center, beta mm-hmm. spindles, you know, to yeah. get into deep sleep, mm-hmm. um, or even stages of non-REM sleep, but just those those deep sort of like delta theta wave mm-hmm. sleep, um, you just won't feel the same. Um, and, and, and we have actually come, the literature 
um, short of doing an unethical study like saying, hey, you have sleep apnea, you have sleep apnea, we'll give you a CPAP machine mm-hmm. and we'll correct your sleep apnea. And sleep apnea is essentially just a low oxygen slate, you know, mm-hmm. so if somebody's chronically oxygen deprived at night and we'll give you the, the CPAP machine and we won't and we'll like see what happens in 20 years. Right. <laughs> um, so short of being able to say causality like that, we've become very, very close. I think you and I have talked about this. Mm-hmm. Um, we've come very, very close to being able to without using the C word, the cause word, we do have mm-hmm. to be very careful to make a distinction between correlations and associations mm-hmm. and cause. Um, so sleep apnea is not a cause of dementia. Um, low oxygen to the brain is not a cause, but it's very, very, very correlated. Mm-hmm. And there's some data from, um, it's now like it's getting a little older, it's, two, it's 2017, 2008, early 2018 data showing changes, positive changes in the brain in the white and gray matter in mm-hmm. certain areas that could be attributed to, you know, from, from low oxygen mm-hmm. states, from sleep apnea, sleep apnea, that with consistent use for three to 12 months, mm-hmm. showing improvements in gray and white matter in the brain. Wow. So that's like amazing, you know what yeah. I mean? That's you don't amazing always thing. think about that with sleep apnea. You think about the heart benefits and... Vascular sort of things, benefits. But yeah, not always about the brain. Yeah, now, so, what about if someone maybe is not getting enough oxygen, but they're not meeting a diagnosis for sleep apnea? Is that possible? Or? So that's the. Ch- I think that right now, to me, is the greatest challenge. And I, 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 I um, I think this is analogous to where we were with heart disease. And mm-hmm. this is, you know, this is how I, you know, this is how I will talk to someone I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm consulting with or a patient. Um, I think, I forget the number of years ago, when was it cardinal, you're closer to this, the cardinal criteria, to know what a heart attack is like, you know, crushing chest pain, radiating mm-hmm. to the arm, you know, the mm-hmm. jaw, that type of these criteria, it's like, that's how people have a heart attack, usually on Monday morning, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. But that's how men uh, experienced right. heart disease. It wasn't how, um, it turns out, that's not how women have mm-hmm. um, sleep apnea. So, I mean, uh, heart, heart, heart disease. disease, heart attacks, like an, an actual, like in the middle of a, you know, a heart attack. Um, with sleep apnea, I think the cl- our classic is sort of someone's overweight and the um, and people are somebody snoring and like the wind, you know, the, mm-hmm. the blinds are shaking and mm-hmm. you know, and I mean for the most part that's how men snore. That's not how women in sno- uh, experience. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I cannot tell you the number of people on whom we've checked. They met some criteria mm-hmm. for we had to you know had to sort of. Um, deal with the insurance company mm-hmm. and, you know, and do a medical, you know, have to talk to the medical director and, you know, and, and ask for a, um, for a dispensation so mm-hmm. that they can get a sleep apnea as a, a study. Um, but a lot of people don't have the classic, like, you know, wake up with a headache mm-hmm. and feel fatigued so much that they're falling asleep in the car and, you know, loud snoring. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that have that and they still have not had a sleep study where they've been suggested and they've been resistant to because they just don't, People I think of sleep apnea yeah. as like a disease of snoring or mm-hmm. something. Like it's mm-hmm. not; it's just like a made-up thing, and that and the treat they wouldn't do the treatment anyways. Right. But they when they once they sort of grok what the problem is, mm-hmm. it's you know, people are usually much more receptive. And it could be that you know I'm the people that I see are just more receptive in general, yeah. so that I have a little bit of a bias. But like the um, the the when they're sort of explained in plain English. Low oxygen, mm-hmm. no washing machine. Don't you know? Can't get memory. Sense, like your yeah. brain can't fix itself. Like, wow, you know, I should get checked for sleep. Yeah, I should probably Everyone get checked. Should right? get checked. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so something like you know, I think it's a little um, 
will be a little misguided for everybody right. to, to, to get a sleep study, but mm-hmm. everybody should be screened for sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. I just think right now we need to, I think the, the evolution mm-hmm. of, um, of uh, what are the guidelines and criteria for somebody yeah. that's at a higher risk for sleep apnea. Um, and, and, this, and the sleep science is, mm-hmm. is rapidly evolving, so those, mm-hmm. those things are coming. Um, now, thinking about it from a functional medicine perspective, short of um, obesity, Mm-hmm. What are like? Wh- why are so many people having sleep apnea? Yeah, so um, so I have to say I am um, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah. I can tell you a lot of correlations. We see, I it's an unbelievable amount of people that have significant traumatic brain injury. Mm. So really, have had you know real serious concussions mm-hmm. sometimes where people were like had full loss of yeah. consciousness. Um, we we saw a number of. Um, like men with special forces background, United States mm-hmm. special forces background that um, I think uniformly had um, uh, sleep apnea. Mm. Like almost every, and a lot mm-hmm. of these people would come well, you know, in the door yeah. already with their CPAP. Mm-hmm. And you ask them, did the CPAP, oh my God, I wear it. You know, it helps so much. You know, mm-hmm. it's changed my uh, cognition. It's helped my mood to a certain degree. Now mm-hmm. in energy, headaches, um, it's usually not, again, it, it's not like a, for most people, mm-hmm. you fix sleep apnea, you feel better. It's like you eat, you eat more vegetables, you mm-hmm. feel better, but it's not the whole story. You know, right. you got to stack these things. But, um, but um, you know, I'm, I'm still like in the learning phase. Yeah. Like, why do we have so many people? Yeah. Uh, and so the part of the thinking, and this is this is something um, that I think is hopefully not entirely new to to your listeners, but um, airway. Mm-hmm. So the airway. So we're very careful to do a, a, a decent oropharyngeal exam. Mm-hmm. And so um, if somebody was a thumb sucker and raised mm-hmm. their um, soft palate, uh, uh, if somebody was um, uh, had uh, didn't um, breastfeed, mm-hmm. uh, was bottle fed, if somebody uh, had a, a number of teeth removed, if somebody mm-hmm. had um, braces, all of those things can shrink this mm-hmm. um, sort of this oropharyngeal cavity. Yeah. And that's um, that is the port of entry for oxygen yeah. and so um i think there's some sort of like evolutionary biologists that feel that that may be a uh, mm-hmm. very significant contributor sort of like Makes you know sense. with the jaws slightly mm-hmm. retracted a little mm-hmm. bit and that's um that's sort of a big issue drinking too much yeah um will induce a sleep apnea state and certainly that's a um a significant problem. Mm-hmm. So when you put all those, you know, somebody who was bottle fed and was a thumb sucker and had braces and you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. like, and had a concussion and drinks too much because they're dealing, they're self-medicating, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's like this vicious cycle. Yeah. Um, you end up with the avatar of somebody who's very likely to have sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. Do they snore? Not always. Do mm-hmm. they have morning headaches? Maybe. Mm-hmm. But like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not, it's, it's just like, it's, you have to, but, but then again, you have to have time to be able, just that conversation that we had yeah. takes eight minutes. That's like a whole office a whole visit, visit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Let alone the rest of sleep hygiene and all of those things. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you were talking about, you talked about exercise, nutrition, sleep, and then stress. now how about the stress part? Oh man. So we started talking about it before with my own. Yeah. I'm an expert of stress. <laughs> so, um, right. So, um, yeah. There are so many. Um, there are so many. Stress has high dimensionality, mm-hmm. right? And I, I really, um, I think it's most important to connect with somebody so that they understand that you care about them. Mm-hmm. That's it should go without saying. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but you know, that's still an area where we're working, where we're all working on mm-hmm. um, connecting uh, um, best with people. Right. Um, and then I think for me, uh, my process, and uh, I don't, not everybody agrees with me, not even in our own group, um, where I, you know, my previous uh, job, mm-hmm. but um, you know, general consensus was, I think, uh, screen for traumas. Mm-hmm. So screen for traumas, and yeah, I think uh, as a male physician, where the in the practice where probably sixty plus percent of maybe more at the, it used to be like eighty, but I think it you know mm-hmm. balanced uh, sixty plus of my patients were uh, percent of my patients mm-hmm. were female. Some of these things, you know, we're talking about traumas. Depending on what the trauma was, mm-hmm. it's you know, it, it's not something that within the first twenty minutes of a meeting somebody wants to uh, sure, talk about. Yeah. Uh, understandably, uh, you know, you have to build trust and uh, uh, we have to create a space uh, that feels safe for someone. Mm-hmm. And those things are, as you know, very real. Um, but uh, turns out people are more likely to answer something on a computer or mm-hmm. on a piece of paper, like a screening questions. And I, I mean, so we use. Um, the Adverse Childhood Events Questionnaire, mm-hmm. uh, the ACE Questionnaire. It's, you know, very data-driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's evidence-based. Um, it's simple. It takes a, it's quick. quick. And, you know, and that score, you know, the magic number on that test out of 10, you know, the 10 questions of the scores four or more, you know, the likelihood that someone will have anything from heart disease to autoimmunity, chronic constipation, chronic pain, fibromyalgia, dementia is mm-hmm. like six-fold increase. Um, it just goes up and up. And mm-hmm. so if, if somebody's sort of stuck and they have, let's say, a trauma that has perturbed their immune system and now they have like rheumatoid arthritis, mm-hmm. um, I think if you don't at least point out the fact that that could be a contributor, and in some cases, I mean, in some cases, it's like it was clearly like the trigger. Right. You know what I mean? It was a triggering event. Um I mean, I mean, I could tell you, I mean, if you want to talk about like anecdotes and stories, like yeah. story after story after story after story, where it was just like through talking about someone, mm-hmm. talking with someone about mm-hmm. like what was the, the triggering events. And, um, you know, trauma is one thing, you know, mm-hmm. trauma, there's physical trauma, emotional trauma, sexual trauma, um, finan- you know, and then there's mm-hmm. like persistent life stressors. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a wonderful tool called the strain S-T-R-A-I-N. It's developed by George Slavich and um, the yes, group at UCLA okay. Stress Lab. Yeah, I heard of that. Um, and, um, and so they have a validated tool that quantifies the life, a lifetime mm-hmm. of, so it's like an aggregate stress measure. Mm-hmm. And you can tell if yours is more or like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's like a reference level, reference okay. ranges. And you can see if you're above or below. And then he also, they do a really good job. That group has done a good job of, of um, sort of domains of mm-hmm. stress. Like what domain was it in? You know, is it work? Is it relationships? Is it finance? You know what yeah. I mean? That type of stress. Can anyone find this or is it like Yeah, a, yeah, okay. just go to, just Google strain, you know, strain mm-hmm. at UCLA stress labs. Um, can, I mean, <laughs> contact Dr. George Slavich yeah, and he, we'll he's, link he's it. a, um, you know, he's, you can just look on, I mean, you just mm-hmm. look at strain on, on YouTube or just, uh, he's, mm-hmm. there's podcasts with him. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, very you know, free information on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it is what he's doing uh, with his life. So, you know, certainly there's a, um, you know, if you're doing research, it's one thing. And if you just want to use it for yourself, it's another mm-hmm. thing. Uh, but just to see what it is, is a, um, yeah, it's it's an, I think it's an important contribution he's made, and and they've now done sort of genetic, you know, transcriptomic studies looking at you know 
the the implications on gene expression. So how gene how gene activity how the activity of your genes changes with stress. With stress. Mm-hmm. And um, long story short, you know, so it can cause immune you know it can cause immune system problems, inflammation, all like sort of like the the mechanisms mm-hmm. of of every chronic disease you could think of. Right. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's something that's, it's so overlooked by people because you don't, you, f- you think you're handling, you're like, I, mm-hmm. well, I feel fine, but you don't often realize how much stress your body is going through until later on when it starts manifesting in these physical symptoms. Yeah. And I actually think the body, the, the word body, I think that's really where, you know, my current, um, sort of personal interest in my own, you know, not to get too, uh, personal here, mm-hmm. but like, you know, where we're at right now, um, this embodiment piece, uh, whether that's through CrossFit or dance or meditate mm-hmm. or some yoga or whatever, um, getting in the body mm-hmm. um, has has um, benefits that are really hard to talk about. Like you have mm-hmm. to experience it. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? It's one of those things like, oh, what does it feel like to yeah. jump out of a plane? Well, I don't know. What does it taste like? You know, describe the taste of a strawberry. You yeah. know what I mean? Just do it mm-hmm. and then... We can talk about it after that, you know, mm-hmm. have the experience first. Mm-hmm. And there's all these other, like, you know, for trauma and PTSD, there's, you know, loads of interesting research going on with all types of things that are, you know, MDMA and, keto- and uh, psilocybin and um, um, even cannabis and, um, I mean, just on and on and on. Um, and uh, the MDMA research seems the most promising. I've definitely interacted with people that have had these things done. I think, again, I'm I'm very wary of um sort of hype cycle mm-hmm. stuff and oh this is the you know the, 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 the yeah. this is i do think it's helpful i mean it's mm-hmm. helpful but when people say it doesn't have side effects it's just baloney something that it, that has a physiologic effect that you could feel quickly mm-hmm. guarantee like we just haven't found them yet right. you know what i'm saying it's a it's a guarantee it has a side effect mm-hmm. like there's nothing that doesn't right like nothing mm-hmm. that doesn't and then i mean there's this whole like um coming wave of digital therapeutics and um, electroceuticals and neurostimulation, neuromodulation, and, and those are, um, you know, that's of young science, mm-hmm. but um, it seems interesting. I'm sort of following that story mm-hmm. also. Um, um, you know, there's, you can, if you look, and I'm no expert, but you can essentially look at a, if you believe in quantitative EEG measurements, mm-hmm. um, you can look at brain waves and you can have a stressed brain, you know, mm-hmm. you know like a lot of high beta activity. Yeah. And I mean, that's, measurable it's quantifiable and there's things you can do about it you know mm-hmm. and so anything that's measurable quantifiable and something you can do about it it's worth doing you know i think like, mm-hmm. to me is worth doing if you're in a situation in a practice as a as a physician as a as a person that's just seeking health as a, trying to optimize their health um i think it's it's worth pursuing and, I, and it sort of takes us into this notion of scientific wellness and this mm-hmm. like this um the this emerging concept of uh, scientific wellness and um what we're doing today, you know, like mm-hmm. what we're doing now. Um, and I think that's, this is to me, one of the more exciting things that's happening in, in, um, I don't want to say medicine, but in, in, um, in, in health and mm-hmm. in, in, in the pursuit of health. So talking more specifically about Alzheimer's, you tried to talk about it a little bit. Um, but you know, obviously there's so much, changing in the way that we understand the pathophysiology of Alzheimer's. And we used to think this was just genetically determined. There's nothing we can do about it. Now that's not really the case. Um, so can you describe 
sort of how you think about Alzheimer's as, you know, from a pathophysiology standpoint. And then if there is someone who falls into that sort of diagnosis, there are things that we can do now that can actually help. Yeah. Um, I think, so the person that helped me frame, you know, gave me the best framework for Alzheimer's was Dr. Dale Bredesen. Um, you know, he's, um, he, <laughs> I joke with Dr. Bredesen, like, you know, he went on to the, um, uh, Dr. Oz show and mm-hmm. they had the controversial doctor like on the Dr. Oz show. <laughs> he was the controversial doctor. So, I mean, you just watch it. Like, it's like, but, um, but, uh, so he wrote a book called the end of Alzheimer's and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think if, if I think maybe the end of Alzheimer's question mark is, you know, is probably more, um, probably more what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, it's what a catchy it is. title, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, as I'm an editor and I'm going to try <laughs> to sell this book, I, for sure, the end of Alzheimer's is what I'd want to call it. But I and I, um, I like the traditional kind of establishment medicine neurology. There's actually just a, a, a sort of a scathing editorial on the rise of pseudoscience. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Alzheimer's and mm-hmm. uh, brain health, um, just in JAMA neurology on Friday, mm. uh, and um, and um, it, what? So Dale is a steeped, you know, he's like this very impressive. Dr. Brett is in Dr. Mm-hmm. Dale Brett is in um, it, it book is def. I mean, is worth buying and, and mm-hmm. reading. Mm-hmm. Um, he gave me like a framework, mm-hmm. like how do you think of, from on a metabolic level on sort mm-hmm. of a um, on a sort of a kind of a cellular level, how, how to how do we um, view Alzheimer's? And he the way so to be fair, mm-hmm. uh, so Dale was in the you know as of coming up, Dale was in the lab of two different Nobel Prize winners. Mm-hmm. I mean, like he's he was you know a serious researcher guy, but yeah. he was never a clinician mm-hmm. per se, uh, though he's worked his whole life you know mm-hmm. with uh, and interacted with clinicians. Um, and so Dale has like this hypothesis that mm-hmm. was sort of born out of his work in test tubes, his mm-hmm. works with anim- you know his work with animals, and like what worked and what he was seeing with them, and said, "Hey, I think this might be something." Mm-hmm. And um, and the next step is then like a human trial. Mm-hmm. So in the meantime, like people are dying with Alzheimer's all the time, and or dying from or with or mm-hmm. and um, and they said, well. You know, is a sort of shopping it around. Is like, oh, you don't, you know, he, had, he just didn't listen to any talk from from Dale, and he he says it in a very funny way. He's like, he's like, well, he went to the, the um, ABIL, this uh, Australian, uh, a, a very big uh, organization that's mm-hmm. focused on solving Alzheimer's problem in, in Australia, and you know, we want to do this trial and do all these things. And he's like, well, you don't understand. He's, they said to him, well, you don't understand how to do uh, trials. Mm-hmm. You know, you could do one. He's like, well, you don't understand Alzheimer's because it doesn't work. <laughs> it's like one mechanism. It doesn't you know? work like that. Uh, well, that's it, a big shift that I think, you know, is a, he made a big shift in terms of thinking about Alzheimer's not as just, we're not going to find one solution, one drug that's going to be the cure for it. Yeah. And he has sort of this layered approach where, um, where, you know, he talks about types and I, I really need to, um, make clear that this is a hypothesis. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not like a proven fact. I think there's people out there that are talking about, uh, Dr. Bredesen's work. Like it's a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, um, you know, I'm, none of us are the sort of the arbiter of truth except right. for maybe President Trump. But like, <laughs> you know, you you just have to go through the scientific methodology. In the meantime, it's reasonable to use a principle-based, you know, and then you always have to uh, kind of weigh risks versus benefits, um, sort of a principle-based approach um, to to Alzheimer's and, and sort of the care of any, of any um, patient. And so... Um, you know, Dale's notion of Alzheimer's 
although he's always like working on it and refining it and mm-hmm. tuning it up and you know thinking about it from and banging you know he's always banging on it and um, but it's essentially like there's sort of five sub metabolic subtypes there's like mm-hmm. sort of an inf- inflammation piece there's a lack of cell and hormone support piece mm-hmm. which he calls atrophic um, there is a uh, toxic piece which can be as a result of infections can be a result of you know, environmental mm-hmm. toxicants um, and then there's another sort of these secondary subtypes, you know, type four and five, mm-hmm. which are more vascular problems with uh, blood brain barrier, mm-hmm. uh, problems with um, um, sleep apnea would be mm-hmm. one of them, concussions and other, you know, these types of things. And there's a, a tremendous amount of overlap. The, 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 the first three are really the sort of primary, mm-hmm. um, sort of the, 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 the typical bins. And, and originally, he thought everybody's going to have, you know, insulin, and then just this type one point five, this sort right. of like insulin resistant, you know, di- pre diabetes, diabetes, you know, blood sugar uh, issues, etc. And um, he thought like everybody's going to be like a, you know, inflammatory and have problems with blood sugar. And mm-hmm. it turns out like everybody's mixed. That's what you know. He sort of says, uh, you know, off the cuff, like it turns out like mo- everybody has a lot of things because I. Yeah. Um, and then it, there's a whole question of, you know, the, the high-risk gene for Alzheimer's, which is APOE4, which you can get on like a 23andMe and Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Like there's a million ways to get an APOE4 um, you're, you know, to find out if you have a copy that will make you 30, 50, 80, or, you know, percent higher mm-hmm. risk um, of developing Alzheimer's. Um, a lot of the good data that we know, you know, in terms of we're talking facts, mm-hmm. what we think are facts in science, are studied in people that have a copy like of an APOE4. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're, they're like you they're mentioned more before. Yeah, they're more they're much more likely to get it and you know you can get fund you know, a lot mm-hmm. of this you just have to follow the funding mm-hmm. and and um and so but what might work for someone. So I find when we sort of employ the mm-hmm. functional medicine Dr. Bredesen's, you know, like some mm-hmm. so our version of mm-hmm. of that um people very early early symptoms meaning mm-hmm. they haven't lost an ability to sort of uh, mm-hmm. care for themselves and things like that people very early usually that have a copy of a high-risk copy those mm-hmm. are the ones that respond quickly yes. and in and, and mm-hmm. usually like diet and exercise like exercise is serious one and then this oxygen you know uh, getting mm-hmm. people oxygenated and things like that and but I, I cannot tell you the number of people i mean it is amazing the number of people that had persistent stress mm-hmm. in their life that triggered Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. That triggered all. I mean, I mean, it's mind. It's frightening, and mm-hmm. usually it's like not just that. It's like persistent stress. And then I got my hip replaced and went and had mm-hmm. some. You know, I had anesthesia, which is you know mm-hmm. by definition is a neurotoxin. It's yep. like knocking you out so you don't feel anything. You don't remember. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I mean, and it's necessary. Nobody's going to go to like you know. Nobody's going to get their hip replaced without anesthesia. Right. But if you can do local as opposed to general, you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so. My dad has hip replaced with a local anesthetic oh, and, you know, some, versa- you know, something yeah. just sort of like, you know, mild sedation. That sounds terrifying to me, but, <laughs> right, but, <laughs> but, but if it can save you. Right. But if you, um, but damage. if you have options, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you can ask and there's somebody who's doing the procedure yeah. that way, then, you know, um, and it's, and it's, and it's, uh, it's just as good or better. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some other advantages and, mm-hmm. and then there are people that, you know, genetically seem to not handle anesthesia as well. And, you know, um, starting to look at, at that, you know, the more, kind of layers of mm-hmm. of 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 data mm-hmm. will be helpful but as doctors we need the help of sort of like computational biologists and stuff and we don't we haven't quite sort of um yoked computational mm-hmm. uh, informatics and and clinical medicine yet i think those days are 
um, soon coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, then we have to figure out the economic. I think in research we have that for sure. But like, yeah. how do we do that in the trenches? Will be mm-hmm. you know that's the challenge of the next fifteen years or so. Mm-hmm. So, aside, like, say this is you or your parent or your grandparent or whatever who has a stressful event and triggers Alzheimer's. Or me. Or you, you know? in residency, <laughs> you know, anyone. Um, what can you do about it? And then from a p- more preventative standpoint, if this hasn't yet happened, what can we do to prevent this from happening? Yeah, I mean, I th- again, I think it's important to sort of, you know, on the disclaimer of nobody really mm-hmm. has, you know, it's not like, you know, you, you have strep throat, sure. yeah. you take penicillin, you get better. Nobody's like going to not take penicillin because, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's crazy. Mm-hmm. So... Um, we don't have what's the slam dunk to to avoid Alzheimer's. What what I do think, you know, I, I would say from a prevention standpoint, I and this is just to be. I was talking to um, a colleague of mine last week, mm-hmm. who's I believe, and I don't want to share his name because in, in case he doesn't want me to, but I, it's Richard Isaacson's worth uh, worth looking up. Get his book. His website's mm-hmm. unbelievable. He'll be the face of Alzheimer's prevention in the next five years. Like he. He will. He's mm-hmm. dedicated his life to this. Uh, he's like a Doogie Howser guy. I went to six-year, uh, <laughs> you know, MD combined, like undergrad. He was like a wow. doctor, but he was 24. And um, gave up kind of all his um, um, conflicts of energy. He's like completely pure mm-hmm. research and has just like put himself into this. And he's stuck with it. And they used to, um, um, they really used to, like he's tri- submitted to similar, like the big journals mm-hmm. having to do with Alzheimer's for, for, for many years. And they always just like um, refused to publish. And then just like last year, like 2018, mm-hmm. in my opinion, was a, there was an inflection point. Something changed in the world of Alzheimer's last mm-hmm. year. And I think partly Dr. Bredesen needs to get some credit for mm-hmm. it from the sort of now as an outsider. Yeah. Um, and then guys like, you know, insiders like Dr. Isaacson, who've been working on this for a while, you know, it was like, if you, if you said Alzheimer's prevention, mm-hmm. like yeah. a year and a half ago, you would sort of like, you know, people move into the other side of the room, <laughs> you know, like at the party, like, like you know, he wants to about? talk with you, you know? And uh, he got a methodologies paper published um, in the Journal of Alzheimer's and Dementia, which is the, is the, um, essentially the journal for the Alzheimer's Association, mm-hmm. very traditional, um, uh, I mean, it's a very well thought of, very well regarded mm-hmm. uh, journal, and um, he got it published, and uh, that was big. And so he's got yeah. this is you know the methodology for Alzheimer's prevention. He's not saying he's figured it out, but they're making very interesting associations, mm-hmm. like uh, forgetful symptoms have more to do with insulin, executive function, and cholesterol. Wow. Like these very you know he's calling precision very medicine yeah. very very precise. Um, you know, you have to, other people have to sort of corroborate, you know, sort of uh, confirm that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's very active in terms of his uh, outreach and trying to get other uh, institutions um, kind of aligned mm-hmm. and collecting similar data so you can compare apples to apples. And um, I just think I think he's uh, he's an, another person doing important work. So I think there's the prevention side. Anyways, the reason I mentioned uh, Dr. Richard Isaacson um, is because. Uh, he told me he was having a, a conversation recently with um, you know, another uh, neurologist who is, is still, um, and this is something I've run into too, who's still sort of on the fence whether it's ethically appropriate um, 
to have someone check for ApoE4. Mm -hmm. Now, ApoE4, again, is the gene that we most associate with a very high risk, a mm -hmm. very, I mean, it's a significantly elevated risk of, all, of to get Alzheimer's, yeah. and whether it's ethical or not to check it. Now, mm -hmm. if you just think about it for a second, what's unethical about it? Like, o only if you believe that there's nothing to do. And Richard's right. like, oh, he's so far past that. He's like, there's come so on, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we think there's so much to do. Like, mm -hmm. do we have years and noodles? I mean, this is a very young science. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, it would be um, misleading to say that, oh, there's just, a, mm -hmm. you know, loads of evidence. It's a, in terms of the good, high quality, high grade evidence, it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's starting to happen, but it's, you know, sort of trickling out. Um, but the multi-domain trials, the finger trial, map team, and some of them, you know, Prediva and map team, you know, these are international trials. Uh, finger, the F-I-N-G-E-R um, trial probably was the most um, um, notable. Mm -hmm. It's ongoing. Um, you know, Mia Kafilpelto, and you know, she's been doing this for a long time. Cade in vascular dementia, and she's she's a giant, and, um, and and with you know certainly a lot of expertise, track record, mm -hmm. and she's getting in in sensational international uh, reputation. So there's like people looking at what they call multi-domain trials. So meaning mm -hmm. not just doing one thing, yeah. but multiple things. U.S. Prevent, Dean Ornish has got a trial in lifestyle um, coming out soon. And um, you could argue whether or not, um, you know, he, he's doing everything. But, you know, Dean's, Dr. Ornish has made um, a lot of contributions, mm -hmm. a lot of important. You can agree with him about fat. You can't agree with him. I mean, but like if you take somebody who's not eating right and you, you put them on, on more that. vegetables mm -hmm. and you teach them how to exercise and you teach them how to deal with stress, like... It doesn't like you know what I mean. It's like it's, you go from Twinkies to like oranges. <laughs> yeah, even if oranges has sugar, it's mm -hmm. going to be better. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So do you have to be vegan? Keto? I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, the keto diet doesn't. I'm not sure about the keto diet. You know, long term, it doesn't seem a something doesn't seem right about the ketogenic diet yeah. to me. Um, long term, long although term. I, people mm -hmm. will tell me from like some of my TBI patients will tell me the longer they do it, the more their brain feels mm -hmm. like coming back online. So I, you know. You know, we'll definitely see. has a use, uh, mm -hmm. definitely useful, and you, that's also sort of growing in evidence and where it's relevant and where mm -hmm. it's not. But um, um, yeah, we just we just you know we we follow and sort of reserve the right to change our mind and stuff, mm -hmm. and don't get too entrenched in one way, right. um, which we can all you know sort of fall prey. I'm good at this, or I know this, mm -hmm. and therefore it's the right way. Right, it's right. the way you've been doing it. Or, uh, right. right. So you know, we have the advantage at relatively early stages in our career, like we have an advantage that we haven't like completely sold out on one way, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. When we do, then, we'll be, the, then yeah. we'll be the people that, you know, like the, the new people are saying, oh my God, do you believe this functional medicine <laughs> stuff? This was like such an old model. So you know? old fashioned. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So now you mentioned a lot about your amazing experience at the Center for Functional Medicine at Cleveland Clinic, but now you have recently started a new position yeah the chief science officer chief scientific wellness officer oh that's even science. better that's even yeah. better at the kemper center for cognitive health and wellness yeah right so here in cleveland tell yeah. us what that entails yeah. so the kemper center for um thank you for asking so the kemper center for cognitive health and wellness is um a sort of in what i call end-to-end -end brain or cognitive health mm -hmm. um so people that are looking for, they don't feel pretty well, somebody like yourself, somebody feels pretty well, but's looking, how, how can I get better, you know, even mm -hmm. better um, through, you know, it's prevention, which is you know, pretty simple. You get mm -hmm. some labs, you get, you know, we, we, we talk about them mm -hmm. um, through 
symptoms like mm-hmm. Man, there's something wrong you know i went to neurologist and they said hey you just you know mm-hmm. getting older come back in a couple of years and we'll make sure you're still not yeah. feeling well <laughs> um uh i'm just joking and then um and then all the way through sort of like real mild cognitive impairment which you mm-hmm. can think about as a prodromal or pre you know pre-alzheimer's mm-hmm. uh, it's called you know i think the literature is not calling it prodromal or preclinical alzheimer's disease mm-hmm. uh, through early you know and then you know then we actually so the 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 Kemper Company, which is sort of the umbrella mm-hmm. company for the Kemper Center, already owns and operates a couple of assisted living okay. uh, homes. And um, they do it with a little different flavor. These are not, you know, they don't take everyone. They um, are really focused on Alzheimer's and dementia. Mm-hmm. They have like sort of a high touch uh, model. They're really really uh, place a premium on uh, avoidance of prescription medication, mm-hmm. antipsychotics, which having worked in a number of these places, you know, a couple dozen of these mm-hmm. types of, you know, I hate the word facilities, but, you know, nursing homes. Mm-hmm. And they just, you know, somebody like, you know, winks their eye and they hammer them with antipsychotic right. medication. And um, just some of these places are like um, draconian, yeah. you know what I mean? Not all of them. There's a lot of good places too. I don't want to like, again, misrepresent, mm-hmm. but... Um, the Kemper is the Kemper, so they have the Kemper um, house. They have okay. the Kemper houses, and and so so we'll also deploy aspects, sort mm-hmm. of like watered down versions mm-hmm. of some of these things for people that are interested. Uh, and so they've turned over their kitchen. They think they they think mm-hmm. they didn't study it. They think they've seen like less. Um, uh, behavioral disturbance, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like delir, you know, sort of like mm-hmm. changes in, in fluctuating states of, of uh, consciousness and and um, you know, sort of agitated be- um, mm-hmm. kind of behavior and um, constipation and maybe infections. Again, nobody they didn't study it, so that's what they, mm-hmm. you know, everybody wants to believe what we want to believe, but that's you know, that's what they think they observed, and um, so yeah, so it's end to end, so it's from the optimization all the way through, like you know, um, the. The matriarch of the the company, the Kemper company, Betty Kemper, who's really uh, sort of I call her soul sister and kind mm-hmm. of an inspiration to me. Um, so she she talks about like death changing experiences. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like like we want to die better. Yeah. You know we don't. It, which is a whole other conversation mm-hmm. about you know death and you know if you mm-hmm. have to do any time in hospice or palliative care, it's like a whole another yeah part. You know, I was, I was actually supposed to meet a friend of mine who's a, a palliative care and hospice doctor. Mm-hmm. He was a, he was an attending of mine when I was mm-hmm. a, a fellowship, but he, he, his kid was throwing up, so he had to cancel. Oh. <laughs> so um, so we didn't, but but you know, like the palliative, like it, it's just a, it's just a, you know, it's different than like the cardiothoracic surgeon. You know, right. I mean, the palliative medicine it's doctor comes different. in, and you know, it's very just a different calming. vibration. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what are your, I mean, you just recently started in this position. What mm. are your hopes? What do you think, mm. I mean, for, the, you know, for this center, but also just in the bigger scope of things, where do you think we're going to be in five, 10 years from now? Where do you hope we'll be? Well, I mean, first of all, I think we'll probably have some reasonable, um, drug approaches, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't, and I don't want to poo-poo those because those are mm-hmm. important. And uh, for somebody who's, you know, any of us that have been sick that have been helped by medication, mm-hmm. whether it's for an infection or from depression or heart disease or whatever it is, diabetes, uh, medications are super useful. Like mm-hmm. they're super useful, um, as you know. Yeah, um, and which I think is the beauty of the functional medicine approach is that it's you're trying to take the best tools. That are out there, regardless of whether they're prescription medications or yeah. supplements yeah. or lifestyle or anything else. Yeah, I mean, you know, 
try to hit things that are root cause, mm-hmm. but you know, sometimes you have to act downstream mm-hmm. in the meantime so people feel better. Right. And the advantage in being a, pres- a prescribing physician mm-hmm. like you and I are um, is that we, you can you have all the tools. Mm-hmm. You have all the tools at your disposal. And um, to the ex- extent that we design our practice to be able to use those tools mm-hmm. um, and, and uh, kind of the model of care supports that. Um, and we, you know, build so that the other, the rest of the team members around that. I mean, mm-hmm. the Kemper Center is really, um, we're designing it so it's, the doctor is more of a, um, like facilitator, coordinator, make sure no one gets hurt. It's like the, it's mm-hmm. like a coach, you <laughs> yes, know what I mean? Yes. And I don't mean in health coach, I mean like more in a sports model, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? There's like the players mm-hmm. and there's like, and, and, um, you know, we, um, we have really an interest in, um, uh, deep phenotyping and, uh, data science. And, you know, we, we are just talking about those and starting to formulate some relationships but mm-hmm. uh, and so I, we don't have i can't say this is what we have yet right. uh, but um you know like machine learning and ai have a role in uh medicine and i think our generation this generation of physicians is not like sort of worried that you know we'll be replaced by robots. Mm-hmm. by the time machines replace us they'll be writing poetry and they'll be selling groceries you know be doing everything mm-hmm. so I don't, you know, mm-hmm. am I worried that, I, that I'll be replaced? I mean, stock <laughs> trader, everybody replaced. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so in the meantime, you know, I, um, getting in step with computational tools, like I think about it as, you know, like practicing with the like a match on in the room versus with the lights on in the room. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you the light of data science is um, promising, but not quite ready for prime time. Um, and then, I mean, it really is just what's the we're just today, I mean, I, sp- I was talking to one of my partners for like eight and a half hours today about, you know, how do we sort of crack the nut on behavior change? I read a mm-hmm. wonderful book that you should mm-hmm. read. It's called A Well-Designed Life by Kyra Babinet. Okay. Um, she is someone, you know, she's clearly sort of like steeped in academic experience and then like real experience. Mm-hmm. So she's got a nice blend um, and has just a... A sort of a succinct perspective and talking about kind of like emotion her, her main thing is this two by two table um for you know for change mm-hmm. any change you want to make so so where you kind of pair maximum emotion mm-hmm. with stable motivation so it's emotion okay. the quotient is like the motivation to emotion quotient so mm-hmm. if you have like low emotion low motivation like just not gonna happen know, like, yeah but anything that's like stable motivation high emotion it's like body image style you know, again yeah stable motivation low emotion like brushing like you'll brush your teeth mm-hmm. but you don't have to have like you don't have to be excited about it but you do it because <laughs> it's it like anyway. stable motivation you know so so she just she i think she, you know she's bj fogg has done a lot of stuff um mm-hmm. up in yeah. but, but and she's sort of like uh you know like from his um uh trained up by him and mm-hmm. um and has applied this in some ways that uh she just has a um a package that i think is uh, not i haven't heard yet mm-hmm. you know she was she well, was a fresh funny. thing i will definitely check that out so yeah we're trying to i mean so it's really like it goes back to what i told danny like mm-hmm. diet exercise yep. sleep and stress will measure stuff it will do some deeper dives on things and then you know for people that aren't improving with kind of the is then you know there are other things mm-hmm. um you know sometimes toxins you know is a thing you know i don't think it's maybe a thing as much as maybe some of my colleagues do mm-hmm. but uh, i think toxins can be a real thing um metals is highly controversial and it's just like um 
again, needs to be approached with a lot of thoughtfulness mm-hmm. and, and, and common sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I, in my opinion, it is not always yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then infections, which is another, you know, like yeah. take Lyme's disease. I mean, mm-hmm. just saying Lyme's disease, it's like, you know, it's like as controversial as like, you know, like, the so-called anti-vaxxers versus right. the vaxxers. Like, I mean, I don't know anybody. It's really an anti I mean, I guess there are people that are like true anti-vaxxers, but like what we would hope is just that you can have a conversation without misleading the public mm-hmm. in terms of like you shouldn't vaccinate because that's, you know, an extraordinary health risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just feel like no reasonable person is like an anti-vaccine person, but like having a conversation about What's the right schedule? How do we do this? You know what? You know, is there a reason that we're like exposing kids to like hepatitis like minutes? You know what I mean? Like, born, yeah. born, like, is there a better way? I mean, just mm-hmm. to be able to, you, you can, you should be able to say, is there a better way to do this mm-hmm. without being labeled as an anti-vaxxer? I understand, you know, there, there is, you know, there's a real public health threat in every day where, you know, there's another case of measles, another case yeah. of this, and and, and that could be that's a result of less people vaccinating. And then I think our public health institutions have a an obligation to say, okay, there's this groundswell from the public that's like not going away. Mm-hmm. Like, let's look how at it. We, you know, yeah, I mean, we can't we always constantly just push off um, anecdotes. Yeah. I, where did I hear this from? I heard oh from Dom. Dom D'Agostino was uh, was talking to him, and you know, he's like, we we. We get some of our best ideas from just like listening to people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I mean, it's so obvious to you, right. but like, you know, the guy that's got it all figured out in the lab, it's not obvious to him. Right. Like, no, this is how it is. You know, right. I don't, you know, I don't care if there's like hundreds or thousands Tons of, of people. patients coming with these same concerns. Right. Over mm-hmm. and over. Like, you know, they must all be crazy. Mm-hmm. All of them. Right. They couldn't be right. <laughs> I mean, you have to then, you know, then it takes serious scientists to sort mm-hmm. of like figure it Start out. But that. like at least, can we have a, a, a non, you know, a non-vitriolic exchange of ideas? Mm-hmm. You know, Thoreau said like, let the, what was it, let the minds clash, but not the mm-hmm. hearts or something like that. You know? Yeah. Like just talk, you know, just talk. <laughs> um, okay. So I want to start wrapping up. Um I usually close with three questions that I ask everyone on the podcast. So oh, you didn't give me these ahead of time. Charlie. I know I'm putting you on the spot. Um, so the first one, you should they should be pretty easy for you. I'm okay. Sure. The first one is three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health. Yeah. So um, for me, uh, exercise and just you know dance, uh, um, dance and weights are just um, transform. Those are transformational. And what type of dance do you do now? So I, we do this, you know, the so-called conscious dance. We group mm-hmm. out on and, and Sundays that meets. And, um, I, you know, I'd like to, I'm actually looking for um, more of that. Mm-hmm. You know, we may, <laughs> we may just have to like start our own group if yeah. we can't find more. Um, and then, um, uh, like meditation was just a, just such a, mm-hmm. a game changer um, for me personally. Um, that's really a, an important one. Um, and then... Um, regular time with my family mm-hmm. once a week where we're just sort of unplugged for about a day mm-hmm. um, is uh, extremely nourishing and restorative. And um, it just sort of, it's like hitting the reset button every mm-hmm. week. And that that's um, uh, profoundly important also. Love it. What about one thing that you think would have a big impact on your health or maybe you know would have a big in- impact on your health but you have a hard time implementing it? Oh. Uh, 
What are you working on? I think getting eight hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. Getting eight hours of sleep is um, five kids business. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. like it's. Um, I I don't if we if we just look at I mean I think six and a half hours is is reasonable, mm-hmm. um, and I maybe always um, operate on a little bit less sleep, mm-hmm. um, but when I get enough sleep consistently, um, and we and we and we shored that problem up for a while, mm-hmm. uh, I think I think though um, what Kyra Babinette says at the beginning of this book, this mm-hmm. well designed life, really um, impacted me, and 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 it's like we need to approach our lives with something where the primary orientation is iterative. It's not like, hey, I'm going to work on sleep, I'm going to fix sleep, and then it'll be fixed the rest of my right, life. It's like it's something the else. core things that require energy mm-hmm. always require recalibration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like this constant dance, right? Always, right, always. What does a healthy life look like to you? For me, mm-hmm. personally? Like, Just what does your healthy look like? No, what does a healthy me? life look like to For you? Nate Bergman? Yes, for Nate Bergman. Yeah, so like a, like where work isn't soul-crushing. You know, work that you, mm-hmm. you, you want to do and, and you mm-hmm. go with some zest and joy. Um, and um, there's a general sense of, of uh, camaraderie, unity, and, um, and empathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and, and sort of there's, there isn't much division between uh, work, you know, the work-life thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all sort of one deal. It's all you know? fun. Uh, not f- fun isn't you know like mm-hmm. you know working and work, being challenged yeah. and stuff that's uh, you know i think we thrive on things mm-hmm. like that but um but uh, you're just doing things with energy mm-hmm. doing things with energy um and in infused um joy and tr- you know reaching states of so-called flow and i mean those are um group flow is really a um yeah, those are and if you can you know if you when you get in you have the rhythm of your mm-hmm. week and your month We've sort of designed for hitting those states on the regular mm-hmm. and without much harm to you, mm-hmm. um, you know, with with not sort of much of a dark underside. I think that's when that's kind of my uh, sweet spot. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of discovery and growing, and sort mm-hmm. of a balance between new and and then just the sort of idea of of a of a of a you sort of have a sense of what's a healthy rhythm. Mm-hmm. You just sort of know it when you mm-hmm. are on that beat. You know, I like that the flow. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I know um, I'll also be linking up to your podcast, End of Alzheimer's, and your the Alzheimer's. So the it's the evolving past Alzheimer's. Evolving. Sorry, not the end. The end of you Alzheimer's. You got me confused book, yeah. with Dale's book. Okay, so evolving past Alzheimer's, which you have tons of amazing episodes. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, people will check some of those out. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank you again so much for sitting down with me. This was awesome. Thank you. Hey there, thanks so much for tuning into this episode. I learn so much from Dr. Bergman every time I have the chance to catch up with him, and I'm so excited to be able to share this conversation with you. Have you experienced the impact of cognitive decline personally or through a close friend or family member? Let us know about your experience and what you found to be most helpful on social media using hashtag pursuing health. To make sure you never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefouché.com and subscribe to my email list. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send me an email at info at juliefouché.com. I'll choose some of these inspiring stories to share here on future episodes. Don't forget you can train with me through Beyond the Whiteboard by visiting trainwithjuliefouché.com. 
Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health. This episode is brought to you by a company that's made my life significantly easier, Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online marketplace on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. It allows you to shop for thousands of the best-selling non-GMO foods and natural products, always at 25 to 50% below retail prices. But as a Pursuing Health listener, you'll receive an additional 25% off your first purchase, plus a free 30-day trial if you visit thrivemarket.com forward slash ph. My husband Danny and I have been ordering from Thrive Market for years, and it's helped us to maximize our efficiency with grocery shopping and meal prep in the midst of our busy schedules through medical training. Using Thrive Market, we can shop for all of our staple grocery items, things like nut butters, cooking oils, snacks, dressings, coffee and tea, personal care products, eco-friendly cleaning supplies, non-toxic beauty products, and even more. And we know that they're coming from a curated list of products that we can trust. Whether you're looking for paleo, vegan, ketogenic, gluten-free, non-GMO, sustainably farmed, fair trade certified, or any of 80 plus other types of products, you can easily find them on the Thrive Market platform at prices 25 to 50% below retail. Even better, these items are shipped straight to your doorstep so you don't have to worry about the time or the hassle of grocery shopping. Thrive Market's mission is to make healthy living easy and approachable to everyone. And this aligns perfectly with my own personal mission and that of pursuing health. Because it has been such a lifesaver for me, I wanted to share the benefits of Thrive Market with all of you, and they've responded with an amazing offer. So again, you can head to www.thrivemarket.com forward slash ph to receive 25% off your first purchase plus a free 30-day trial. Again, this is on top of their already 25 to 50% below retail prices. So why not try it out and do your grocery shopping from home this week? I hope you can take advantage of this offer and enjoy their service as much as I have. Once again, that's thrivemarket.com forward slash ph to learn more. No discount code necessary. Just shop around and the discount will be applied at checkout. This episode is brought to you by Siete Foods. You know, when you meet a group of people who are just so genuine that you can't help but treat them like old friends or family? Well, that's how I felt when meeting the Garza family, the founders of Siete Foods. Siete is a healthy Mexican-American food brand that makes grain-free and paleo-friendly tortillas and tortilla chips, as well as quesos and hot sauce. My husband and his family first met the Garzas at PaleoFX several years ago, and they had an instant connection, and we've kept in touch ever since. Maybe it's their powerful origin story that makes them so relatable. Veronica Garza was facing a series of major health challenges as a teenager, and her entire family of seven jumped on board to help. Together, they adopted a low-inflammation, grain-free diet. But as a Mexican-American family living in South Texas, they couldn't imagine life without tortillas, and it wasn't long before Veronica came up with a delicious solution and Siete Foods was born. After years of enjoying their delicious, grain-free, dairy-free, and paleo-friendly tortillas, tortilla chips, queso, and hot sauces, I finally had the chance to meet the Garzas in person, and they immediately made me feel like a member of the family. Their passion for making the world a healthier place is contagious, and their generosity spreads to everyone they touch. I'm so excited to have Siete Foods as a sponsor of this episode, and if you're not already a fan of their products, I promise you will be after you try them. You can purchase Siete products online and in stores across the U.S. They've provided an exclusive discount code for Pursuing Health listeners. Just use the code JULIE19 to receive 10% off any online order. 
Again, their website is sietefoods.com. That's S-I-E-T-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. And you can use code JULIE19 for 10% off. 